I'm going to use a text that has been taught many times, and I guess I'm just going to add my little rendition to the great word of God. Um, we're going to look at the story of Jonah, uh, which is a short little book, just four little chapters. Um, but I'm going to skip through it because, you know, we got to pull out just the points I need to pull out to emphasize this point. And we all know the story of Jonah. You know, it's not a foreign story. Um, how God spoke to him, told him to go to Nineveh, tell the people to repent. He decided not to do that, tried to hide from God on the ship. Uh, the storm came, got tossed off to save the other folks. Then God sent a fish to swallow him. He was in the belly for three days, three nights. While in the belly, he told God that he would do what he asked. God then spit him out. He went forth, told the people to repent. The people repented. Um, and the ending of the book was quite interesting because maybe I wasn't paying attention because that's a possibility. But I never heard this part emphasized, that the book ends with Jonah being mad at God because he did not destroy the people. And God chided him for sitting there having a pity party about himself. And he says to him, but I can't feel sorry for my people. You can feel sorry for yourself, but I can't sorry be feel sorry, excuse me, for my people. And it ends there. He don't say nothing else to him. That's interesting. I wasn't going to go into that aspect, but as I kept typing, I kind of went into it. So I'm going to hit that a little bit. Um, so let's go to some of the verses. Let's go to Jonah 1 and 17, and then chapter 2 to verse 10. It says, and I'm leaving, I think I'm reading from the Living Bible Translation. It says, now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. In my great trouble, I cried to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of death, I called, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths. I sank dead into the floods of waters and was covered by your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have rejected me and cast me away. How should I ever again see your holy temple? I sank beneath the waves, and death was very near. The waters closed above me. The seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains that rise off the ocean floor. I was locked out of life and imprisoned in the land of death. But, O oh Lord, my God, you have snatched me from the yawning jaws of death. When I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord, and my earnest prayer went to you in your holy temple. I will never worship anyone but you, for how can I thank you enough for all you've done? I will surely fulfill my promises, for my deliverance comes from the Lord alone. And the Lord ordered the fish to spit up Jonah on the beach, and he did it. Now, God knew in advance that Jonah would try to run from him, from what he asked him to do. He knew where he would hide, and he knew what the next step had to be, so that Jonah would not disappoint him. The key is that he could not let Jonah disappoint him. So he had to provide whatever was needed so that he wouldn't disappoint he orchestrated all this for Jonah to live up to what he had called him to do. God in his wisdom has set up our lives so that we will not disappoint him in the long run. We think 
that would have swallowed us up was sent to render us devoured. God sent that fish of adversity, of pain and disappointment, rejection, death, ridicule, and doubt to birth what he has already placed in you. He knew Jonah would send forth the message to free others, but Jonah needed some experiences to push him towards God's plan. God knows that we will eventually go and do what he has destined us for, but we fuss and fight with him and make this process take much longer than it has to. I wasn't, like I said, wasn't gonna go into this, but if you go back to before he got swaddled, he was a bit arrogant in thinking that he could run from God and, and that God would not punish him for doing what he asked him to do or not doing what he asked him to do. That he could just skip on and hide and there would be no consequences. And oftentimes in our lives, we have gone completely against the will of God for our lives. And we think that God shouldn't throw us a consequence. But again, remember the consequences are to birth in us what was destined in us in the beginning. Then we get mad at them and stay mad at them. If you look at chapter four, you will see the reasons Jonah ran was because he did not believe God. He did not believe that he would destroy the people and that him going to Nineveh was a waste of his time. Sometimes we don't understand what God is calling for in our lives. And because we can't understand it, we say, oh God, you don't know what you're talking about. Let me tell you, you're wasting my time. Why should I go do that? It don't even make sense to me. Arrogance, we're full of it. Then he ranted to God that he knew he was a kind, merciful God and he wouldn't destroy the people. And the chapter ends with God asking him a question. But Abby, the backstory of that before he asked him the question, after Jonah throws his tantrum about not destroying the city, he runs off and he's stuck in the heat and he sits under a branch but it doesn't cover him completely. So God allows a, a big tree to grow and give him shade. And in the verse it says he's very grateful for the shade. He falls asleep. While he sleep, God sends a worm to destroy the shelter. When he wakes up, he's completely ticked off. As to why would you then put me in this situation again? So he tells God, I would rather just die than keep dealing with this. Just kill me now. It would be easier than us doing this back and forth stuff. Just let us let it go. So he's pouting, feeling sad and sorry for himself. Hmm. In Jonah 4, 10 through 11, it says, Then the Lord said, You feel sorry for yourself when your shelter is destroyed, though you did no work to put it there, and it is at best short-lived. And why shouldn't I feel sorry for a great city like Nineveh, with its 120,000 people in utter spiritual darkness and all its cattle? He says no more after that. God left him to answer the question alone. You figure it out. Hmm. This is not about you alone. And we get so caught up in our own lives and our own doings that we always think it's about us. And it's not about us. It's always about God. 
And remember that you are linked to someone else's freedom. You were linked to someone else's blessing. So you can't decide that I don't want to do God's will. You're holding somebody else up. That's why he's got to send fish to swallow us up. Because, oh, you're now not just blocking your life, but it's four or five, ten or twenty hundred other people whose lives you're blocking in your stubbornness. And you sitting here feeling sorry for yourself, you want me to destroy 120,000? And you think this is right? And we're, you're concerned about your little time you spent to just tell the folks to repent? Apply it to you. Our experiences, again, are always linked to other people's freedom. This is why we need not be embarrassed when we go through something, because God will use your testimony to free someone else. Sometimes we want God to provide all the answers, and he just leaves us with the question to answer on our own. He wants us to look at our various experiences with him for us to ponder what we have learned and what we have yet to learn. Because oftentimes it's what we need to learn is why we're still in the chaos that we're in. So God provided a fish to swallow him, shelter to comfort him in his anger, because he felt sorry for him. He was like, oh, he did come do this. Let me give him a little reprieve. And a worm to destroy the shelter so he would not be comfortable in his anger. And the ultimate goal was to find God and his character miraculously. That's the ultimate goal in everything we do and everything that comes in our life. Have you found God yet? The character of God and what he wants to do for you. Okay, so I'm going to go back to the real story of what I'm really trying to say. But I couldn't just let that fly. So let's go back to verse 2. I mean, chapter 2, verse 1. Now, this is the sentiments of Jonah in the fish. You see how he fell? He was in the fish. He had all this sentiment and goodness going. And then the moment he gets out, does the will of the Lord, he just messes up again. How often has that happened to us? We get a little reprieve. We get a little high. We feel like we didn't met the Jesus. And then all of a sudden, we just back stupid again. You know, it's like, what more? And then we wonder why we keep getting swallowed. Because he keeps saying, oh, you didn't let it get birthed. And we staying longer than three days. We be in the fish for a long time. <laughs> it's amazing we have not just died for the lack of oxygen. Good Lord. So verse 1, and I'm going to break down the, what he's saying in his prayer. It says, in my great trouble I cried to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of death I called, and Lord, you heard me. At the moment, it feels as if we are dying from our stuff. We're dying. We have no life in us. All we have is the pain of death. But if we can call to God in the depths of death, he will hear us. He says, you threw me into the ocean depths. I sank down into the floods of waters and was covered by your wild and stormy waves. The realization needs to come that God has orchestrated the ocean depth and has created the wild and stormy waves to get our attention. 
Instead of us being mad, we should be grateful that he still is trying to get our attention. That he hasn't just said, I'm tired of you people. What more do I have to do? He's like, oh, let me throw something else. And it's not to kill us. We keep thinking God is trying to kill us, to destroy us, to hurt us. He's simply trying to birth our destiny in us. When he saved us, he put destiny in us. He put a call in us. At the conception of birth, the seed was planted. He needs it to come alive. He says, then I said, O Lord, you have rejected me and cast me away. How should I ever again see your holy temple? And now he's saying, now that I'm rejected, cast it away. How will I ever get back? I feel like you don't even want me. I have all this adversity around me. I could write a book on just pain. How am I going to get back to you? Because one point is like, I know I need to get back to you. At the other point, it's like, what else are you going to do to me? Should I trust you? Because I don't know if you're the good one yet. But he knows he needs to see the holiness again, which means at one point in time, he touched holiness. At one point in time, he was in the place of God, and he knew it was good there. I got to get back there. I know this is crappy, and this is not a good place for me to be. I got to get back to the holiness, because at least that did feel good. He says, I sank beneath the waves, and death was very near. The waters closed above me. The seaweed wrapped itself around my head. So now I'm drowning in these waves, and death is just a breath away. I am completely engulfed in my misery, and it is choking me. I am blinded by the misery. I'm enclosed in the death. He says, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains that rise from off the ocean floor. I was locked out of life and imprisoned in the land of death. But, O oh Lord, my God, you have snatched me from the yawning jaws of death. I'm at the bottom. Can't get much lower than where I am. And everybody's had a point where they felt that. It can't get worse than this. You're hoping it can't get worse than this, at least. You don't want to say it because you're a little scared that something else will come. But I have been locked out of life and imprisoned in the land of death. Think about what he's, I'm locked out of life. I cannot even live. You have closed life for me. And all I know is the imprisonment of death. How many of us have, are just completely locked out of life? The life that God created for us, the abundance, the joy, the peace, the happiness, the serenity. When do we live in God's place? Why do we stay in the imprisonment of death? It's a choice. When he's already birthed life in us, why am I choosing death? And then I'm mad at God because I chose death. Our focus is often on what is dead and can't be brought back to life. We ruminate about what was lost, what was stolen, what was taken. 
as if God has not given us so much more than what has been taken away. He's ta things have been taken. Some people have been through some stuff. Life has been hard, but you have yet to encounter the life of God. Because I'm stuck in the imprisonment of death. My focus is on the death. I think I'm locked out of life, but really there's no lock on the gate. All I have to do is push it and walk through, and I'm in the land of living. But I'm sitting here fighting, saying, where's the key? There is one. Jesus was the key. He never locked it. Why don't we walk through it? Why do we choose death? We have the living God in us, the one that's alive. We say he's alive. We sing the songs. Yet we decide to focus on death. And not the life-giving force that lives in us. We have these mediocre, sorry lives often. All because we focus on death. On what we don't have. On what we can't get. When we could have so much more. If we could tap into the life of God, we would see that he would provide us with everything we need. That the provisions are sitting right there in front of us, and we act like we got to steamroll it to get there. It's just laying there. He's saying, will you pick it up? I'm thinking, oh, it's a booby trap. It may explode on me or something, so I'm just going to leave that alone. And I'm going to stay over here in death and cry and be mad and bitter that I can't live. He says, when I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord, and my earnest prayer went to you in your holy temple. But when all hope is lost, if we can just come to our senses and know that all I need is Jesus and pray earnestly, intensely to him, not these little sorry prayers that we pray, and remember, if you're not praying in faith, it don't count. If your prayers are in doubt, he can't hear them. Scary. Because remember, the faith is the link to everything. So if I can sit down there and say, Jesus, can you provide? Jesus, can you do this? Can you do that? Yet in my spirit, I don't believe he can. He's like, oh, you didn't tie up my hands. I can't. You blocking your own self. Because you just choose not to have faith. Remember, it's the faith that sanctifies us. So if you don't have faith, you have no sanctification. You have no way to get closer to God. You're out of the game. You can't just talk the talk. You can't just read the scriptures and act like they're going to do something when you don't believe them. With all your heart, believe that this is for you. He did it for you. Not somebody else, but just for you. Until that clicks, you have tied me to do anything good for you. So I guess I'll have to send another fish to swallow you, to get your attention to say, but I am your deliverance. Can you call on me? Because I'm really all you need, just me. You don't need like nobody else, like mom and daddy, brother, sister, employer, Nobody, just Jesus.
Because he can then make everything happen. The thing is, we don't believe it. So we lean on other people. We try to get other people to do for us what God can do. And we're like, well, Jesus, can you work through them? He's like, no, I need to work just through me. It's about me. See, he does get to grandstand. He does get to stay there and just be like, you choose me or you choose nothing. He's that big, he gets to do it. And we're like, oh, why are you showing off? He's like, but I'm the key. Without me, you get nothing else. We have to seek him, seek his face. Trust and believe he's going to show up and deliver. In verse 9, it says, I will never worship anyone but you. For how can I thank you enough for all you have done? I will surely fulfill my promises. For my deliverance comes from the Lord alone. And the Lord ordered the fish to spit up Jonah on the beach, and it did. We have been guilty of worshiping the death and not the life. We must declare that I will never worship another. We have to admit that we have not really been worshiping God. That our worship, our reverence, our respect, and our praise has not been solely to Jesus. It has been to so many other things, other people, our careers, our homes, our houses, everything we can obtain on our own that we think we can obtain on our own. We have worshipped it. And Jesus is a byproduct. It's like when I get to you. Oh, I know he's, he's the provider of everything. And we talk cliches, but he's like, but you don't even believe that. Your heart's not with me. Because, see, I know your heart. You can't deceive me. You can even deceive yourself, but Jesus is like, but I'm not impressed. You don't want me. You're not that in love with me. You're in love with maybe what I can do for you. But me, if I did nothing else, would you still want me? If I left you where you are, would you still worship and praise me? I think I said at the last retreat, we have so much audacity to sit here and act like God is supposed to do so much for us. Keep requiring him to prove himself. He is God. Do we forget who he is, what he's done, the vastness of him? That we have the nervous mortals who he's put breath in us, that he can take at a drop of a dime, and we're saying, prove yourself to me? And that's the only way you're going to get me to worship you. I mean, really? And we think we're impressing because we come in every once in a while to the service, and we sit there and wave our little hand, try to get a little tongue going, maybe a lap. And we're like, be impressed. And he's like, dude, I don't even know y'all. Who are you? Because you're not my people. My people don't treat me like that. My people adore me no matter what. They were like thinking I'm just the bomb. You don't think that about me. You're only happy when I do something for you. When I don't do what you want, then you're mad and pissed off. Sitting under your little tree, trying to have an attitude, throwing a tantrum. Angry at me, the God. We got some nerve. I shocked myself. The times I think about how angry I was at him. 
chiding him, saying, how could you? Why would you? I thought you loved me. You don't love me. I'm saying this to the Jesus. Because I'm very honest with him. I don't have no other choice. I'm saying this to the God, telling him what he should and shouldn't do. Who the heck do I think I am? And I didn't even know him. Let alone come close to loving him, but perform for me. Yet he did it. That's what blows my mind. That in all of my arrogance, and my craziness, and my foolishness of thinking I was a little grander than I was. One of the good scriptures does say, you shouldn't think more highly of yourself than you. That was me, thinking a little more highly than I should have. Then I could fight with Jesus. And he's so sweet. He just let me fight. Then he told me to shut up. It's enough, sweetie. You didn't cross the line. But I will say that without that tantrum, I wouldn't be here. So I'm grateful that he allowed me to act a nut and throw a tantrum so that he could introduce the real God to me. I appreciate that one. But the worship, when he says, I will not worship anyone but you, we've got to get to that point. Because really, we've missed that. A lot of stuff is above God. A lot of stuff. He's not on the top of the list. You know, somebody's throwing in five and six. He's just not number one. So anything you put above him, you're saying is better than him. Period. That's the way he feels. This is why we are so bound. This is why the fish keeps swallowing us. Because we don't get it. Look at his gratitude. He's no longer angry that he's in the fish. But he's grateful to be in the fish. His revelation came in the fish. Not outside of the fish. He's in the belly of the storm. He is in the belly of the ocean depths where man is not supposed to survive. Down on the ocean floor, seaweed around his head, how he's breathing is just miraculous. In the belly is where the revelation came. The experience led him to the opening of his eyes. The experience led him to the clearing of his ears. He would not have gotten this revelation outside of the belly of the fish. Now he can say with power, I will fulfill my promises to you. Until we are in the belly of the fish, can we declare, I will fulfill my promises to God? Can't come when everything's okay. I must be moved to see the revelation of God. That's what he's already provided. He, I know what you need to birth in you, what I put in you. It's provided. You are going to come forth. Oh, you're going to be what I birthed you to be. We can fight the whole way, but no, it's going to happen because I don't mess up. 
And when I birthed you, I know what I was putting in you. That's going to happen. Sometimes we don't know what was put in us because we haven't had enough experiences and we haven't let the revelation come in the experiences. That's where we miss it. We fuss and fight and cry and moan in the experience when God is really trying to show his hand. So what we need to start doing is that when we get in the belly of the fish is to sit back and say, God, you're trying to show me something. What is it? Let us just hurry up and get this over. Reveal it. Show me. I'm going to jump on board, and we can get on to the next one. But what do we do? Why am I here? Shoot, this is crazy. I don't, I've been doing so much good for Jesus. I've been trying to get my life together. I've been doing this, doing that. Why are you doing this to me? You ain't no good. I don't trust you. See, I knew you were going to let me down. I knew this was too good to be true. He's like, yeah, I still don't get it. Well, you can't stay in the fish forever. I'll spit you out, but I got to put you in another fish because you didn't get it. Take note that we have to get the revelation in the belly. Have to. The revelation has to be in the storm before he can be delivered from the storm. You see, he had to go through all this to get to the point where he says, I won't worship another. I won't do, I, I will do what you ask of me. I need to see your holiness. You are the only one that can deliver me. No one else. Then God said, okay, spit them out. We wonder why we stay so long because we never get the revelation. Get the revelation so you can get spit out. Stop fighting them. I think we choose to live beneath ourselves because we like the pity party. We've gotten accustomed to it. Because you actually get more attention from people when you're pathetic versus when you're strong and grounded. And we would rather have the pity of people than the sureness of Christ. I would rather have people around me, oh, good, oh, you too. Man, let me tell you what happened to me. Da, 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 da. Then to say, you know what, I know God will deliver I know this looks a mess, but my Jesus is real. And not saying it's fake, because it's a slogan. But deep in your heart, you believe that God is on your side. We would rather keep living our lives in a way that causes God to have to send fishes to get our attention than to live in his promises in abundance. This is what we choose. Remember, life is nothing but a bunch of choices. We choose to live and death. And like Jonah, many of us have gotten great revelation of the greatness of God, and then we allow circumstances, and we allow others to anger us against God, and once again charge him. Then he must provide another demonstration of his greatness to get our attention again. When do we choose to stay in the revelatory state of just knowing God and not waver back and forth in anger and doubt. Do we not know who we are to Christ? Do we not believe what he has written about us? Is the Bible just a fable to us? A, a bunch of words we've recited and quoted, but we don't believe? 
1 Peter 2 and 9, and I'm almost finished. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a dedicated nation, God's own purchased special people, that you may set forth the wonderful deeds and display the virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Exodus 19, 5 and 6 says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice in truth and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own peculiar possession and treasure from among and above all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, consecrated, set apart to worship God. If we can choose to see ourselves as people, set apart. God's own possession. He owns me. You know, rarely do we misuse the stuff we own. The stuff we see is valuable. Our precious stones. The things we think are, you know, the top. We take good care of that stuff. Why would God do anything less? All that he's done to purchase us. Why would he do anything less than treat us like gold? Living and knowing that God sees us as his own and all he wants for us to do is to listen to his voice. Could y'all just start hearing me? Live out his virtues, who he is. But you gotta find out the character of God to be able to do that. His deeds and praise him and only him. That excludes, excludes, excuse me, praising yourself. You got to take self out the picture. Because a lot of times we get over here in this supposedly Christian walk and all the praise and reverence goes to ourselves of how saved we are, how we've kept ourselves, how we haven't done this and haven't done that. And the good Jesus just standing there like, well, did I do anything? We can live in greatness. I don't know why we don't want that. Because I think what we see as greatness is all been skewed by the world. We think greatness has to do with finances. We think greatness has to do with having the biggest and the best of this that the world can then say, oh, look, you've arrived. Because we don't care about the virtues of God. We don't care about the deeds of Jesus. So all of our ideas is about this world. So he's like, you could have such a great life, but you want that. That's going to fade and vanish and go away. And we're like, no, 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 I think you're good. But can I have that too? And he may give it to you if you could change your mind, if you could see him greater than the things. Then he may know you better than you know yourself and know you can't handle nothing. Then the scriptures that, you know, have meant so much to me. You know, the things that he says that brings us reassurance and peace. The ones that are supposed to then captivate us and say, man, I can have greatness. I can have peace beyond understanding. I can have joy unspeakable and be it full of God's glory. That was supposed to 
ignite us. That was supposed to set our hearts on fire and say, man, how do I get that? Because that's going to be far better than a great car in a big house. Y'all like, this is what you're settling for? This is what you fight? This is why you mad at me? You mad at me because you didn't get the car? The house and the job, and I'm trying to give you joy unspeakable that you can't even talk about? In peace? Where your mind is just at a state of, of just rest? But I want stuff? I mean, I think sometimes we need to just think about what we're, what we're weighing. We worship the wrong thing. Remember, I said last month that our faith sanctifies us. You have no faith, no living in abundance, period. That's scary. Because I think one of the things as Christians we lack the most is faith. We don't really believe this. We're not convinced that it's real. Like as real as this is wood, we don't believe the scriptures like that. And this is why he can't perform for us. We can't have the abundance of God because we just don't believe him. We can say that faith is hard and doubt is natural and easy. But are you a new creation of God? Or are you still that old worldly creation? When God rebirthed us, he birthed us with all we need, which included faith. I believe many months ago when I spoke on the birth process, I said we can either choose to be a live productive birth or a bunch of stillborn babies. Both were birthed from the womb. Not doubting you've been saved. When at least they had the experience, not doubting that. But one lives and the other dies. That's kind of our choice. Do you want to be a productive birth? Or would you rather just lay in death? and be in prison there. If you choose death, don't get mad at God. And don't get mad when he sends the fish, because know they're coming, because he's not going to let you go. He can't. Remember, he hasn't lost one. He'd be darned if he's about to lose you, because you stubborn, because you're a little angry. He's like, oh, that don't stop me. Y'all forgot who I was. Mm -mm. Andre said last month that Christ came and smoothed the path and made the crooked places straight. But we are insistent on clogging the path and juggling up the path. So now our path is just as clogged and we don't know where to go. But he had already smoothed it for us. He said, this is all you got to do. Just walk right here. And we like, oh, you wrong. I need to turn left. Oh, you meant right? Oh, dude. It just looked right. You know how you drive and you feel like that's the right way? You feel like this? I'm going home. See, I've done that. I've done that, and I got the tom-tom. And I said, I don't believe you, tom-tom. Lost is all get out. Then I'm calling Andre saying, honey, what happened? Well, why didn't you just follow what I gave you? That's what the good Jesus is saying. 
I gave you all the instructions. I wrote it out as plain as can be. I even put little signs in the road. When you're about to get lost, I say, no, really, I wanted you to go right. Don't trust yourself. Come on, it's right here. We're like, but Jesus, I just don't feel that's right for me. I think I know better than you. Hmm. He has already provided everything you need to overcome. It's already provided. Everything we need to overcome here on earth and everything we need to overcome to get to heaven has already been provided. He's not working up the plan. He's not in heaven trying to scheme with, ah, sister, you need, oh, foot, what is it that you need? Oh, you went the wrong way. Now I gotta come up with a whole different diversion. He already knew you were gonna mess up. He already knew you were gonna be stupid and think you were smart and go the wrong way. And he's like, okay, darn. And you people. But it was already there because he has already provided everything we need. His promises can't be moved. He's not gonna let you go. And he does not want you to have some stupid, fake, false relationship with him. So half the experiences are to show you, you better get real with me. Because I did too much to let you slip away and for us to be playing patty cake. Like we a bunch of two years old. Believe in the provisions of God. That's a faith choice, to believe that God will provide. Even when you can't see it, to believe he will provide. You have to want life and not death. Know that when you don't choose Jesus in his way, you are choosing death. There's no way to color it pretty, pretty it up, because that's what we do. Make it seem like we're doing something you know, halfway. He don't do half. It's either all Jesus or it's no Jesus. You can buck and run, get on your knees, pray for 15 minutes, read your book, fast if you want, be hungry. He don't care if you don't choose him wholeheartedly. And I think we have chosen to think that we can do it our way. Okay, I'm going to play this game the way I want to play it. Your rules don't count. I done created a new set. And he's like, I've already provided everything. Why are you guys doing this to me? Imagine his sadness when he has to send the fish. When he's like, I have to get you swallowed simply because you just won't have faith in my provisions. That's sad. When he's just sitting there saying, I could just hand it all to you. So he's like, dang, now I got to send this and I got to send that. Just because you don't want to listen. When will we get it? What God will do for us will amaze us. It will amaze us. I mean, I know I haven't even gotten close to what he can do. And I am floored. I mean, I'm not even close. Like, I know, like, my pinky toe worth of Jesus. And I'm blown away. Yet we, we, we don't even know, I mean, half of us don't even know a toenail. 
scary. Just a clipping on the floor, that's what we got. But the song that says, I once was lost, but now I'm found, and was blind, but now I see, has taken on a whole new meaning for me. I realized how lost I was, how blind I was, in thinking that I knew this. Ain't it all my life? Could quote many things, couldn't tell you where they were, but could quote many things. Could tell you, you know, the whole thing about Jesus and the, the doctrine and the da 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 da. Yet I did not know, I was blind. Baptized feel blind. But he says in his scriptures, and y'all know I can't tell you where, but it says you're willfully blind. You choose blindness. Who wants to be blind? Why do we choose to be blind? Blind and imprisoned in death. Wow, what a way to live. We should just pat ourselves on the back with our smart selves. I mean, but now I, I can say that God at least found me. He's found me. I'm so grateful. You know, like, I can hear him now. I'm not really, I'm not blind anymore. I can see. My ears have been opened. That's amazing. He has revealed his heart to me. That was my prayer when I read that scripture. This, he wants to give me the revelations of his heart. That I have to have from you. That I, you need to just let me see that, because that's something that, wow. What? You want to give it to me? And that's what he says he wants for us. He wants to give the revelations of his heart to us. And we sitting here playing games? When we can know what the creator thinks and feels and what moves him? We went to Yosemite for our anniversary. And we did a little hike up to what they call Glacier Point. I just sat there and was like, you are a wonder. To see that, it's like tears come in your eyes. And you're like, you are this grand? Like you could do this with just some rocks and stuff? And I'm living small. When I'm a living being that you put your very essence in and I'm gonna be small? and doubt your greatness when you can orchestrate this? Oh, no small life for me. Not anymore. You can't tell me what God can't do and what I can't have. And that has nothing to do with things. It's like just me as a person. I'm about to blow up. I'm just, just waiting for you to say, hey, let's do this thing. What you about to do? It's just the revelations that come, just to, to see him. To have a peace of mind that I'm not moved by craziness anymore. That I can have a moment of sadness, but instantly he gives me peace. That he's like, I got this. And then it's off of me. Like when he said, cast your, it's casting. I don't even have to think about picking it back up. And then I'm on my way to the next thing, knowing that God and me are traveling together, side by side. But I know that I have to continue the chase. I have to continue to run after him. I can never become stationary and feel like I got it. Oh, this is it. Ooh, I know Jesus. No, 
I know I don't know him completely. I know that I will never get his greatness. But I will not stop until I die to find out more about him. His love, that is what we have to get, is amazing. It's like beyond words. We should get to the place where I can't even explain how much he loves me. It's too vast. I don't even know how to put it into words. What he's done for me, I can't, what, what am I say to you? I just say, it's Jesus. You should know him. I, I can't say more. His name was supposed to encompass everything. That's all I can say. I invite you to come find him, though. He's something else. He's real. He's living. He's alive. He's not, like, dead. He likes participating in my life. And he has already provided everything I need. Today, tomorrow, if he shall wait for his coming 10 years from now, everything has already been worked out. Everything that I was supposed to have. Every experience is supposed to show me something deeper. He's done it. Because he loves me. And I can see now why they say in all things, praise God. And bless God. Because it's his provision. That's what it was set forth to do. Because he's always had a plan. From the moment he created this thing, the plan was set forth. We were in it, and it was a plan. He don't need to make double plans. He don't have erasers. He just said this is what it is. And I can finally say that I believe the scripture that all things work together for the good of them. That love God and are called according to his purpose. When I know my purpose in God, the love of God, the plan of God, then I know that it will be all good because he has set it forth in my life. To bring me to him, to love and trust him more. You cannot get this revelation if you are not sure of his love for you. You gotta be confident that he's in love with you. Until God gives you revelations from his heart, you live in doubt. I know I choose to live now in a revelatory state. I cannot go back. It really wasn't that great back then. It's better here. I'm going to stay here. I choose to believe in his promises versus Satan. Because that's really the choice. It's Jesus or the devil. There's no man in the middle. Just Jesus, devil. When I got that, it was like, man, now I've just been listening to the devil. My worship has been to Satan. Because all doubt is not faith. Doubt is, is the devil's work. I mean, you know, we I shouldn't say this, but we've been a bunch of Satan worshipers. How scary is that? Good Lord. And we sit here proclaiming the name of Jesus. Worshiping Satan. Lord, have mercy. That's what changed my whole view of everything. The fear that encapsulated me, the doubt, the stupidity. When I realize that I'm listening to Satan and he has become my father, 
instead of Christ, I said, well, you know, this is really not, that's not going to happen. I can't choose that. That's crazy. I had to let the devil go. It was sad. I loved what I had. It was my friend. But he kept sending fishes <laughs> to swallow me. I choose to live on the life side. No more death for me. But it's a choice. We choose whatever way we want to do, and you can reason it, and you can make stuff look pretty, and tell yourself all kinds of stuff. Just know you choose and hear my voice. Satan or Jesus is just one or the other. No middle ground. So every time you want to make a choice, think Satan, Jesus, eh. And if you choose Satan, don't be mad at Jesus for sending the fish. Appreciate the fish. No, he still loves you. That's his love. And I'm ending with this verse. This is Psalms 145, 17 through 21. It says, everything God does is right. The trademark on all his work is love. God's there, listening for all who pray. For all who pray and mean it. And mean it? I got to mean it? I can't just pray. And we wonder why our prayers aren't answered. Because we don't mean it. He didn't even hear you. He does what's best for those who fear him, hears them call out and saves them. See, the fear, that's the worship. That's the reference. Do you worship and reference him? Otherwise, he can't be helping you. God sticks by all who love him, but it's all over for those who don't. You can't just say, I love Jesus, in your little pinky finger, and that's all that love him. It's not just the words, it's how you're living. Do you choose him? Because really, if we think about any other relationship, the way we have treated God, who would stay with us? And who would say, oh, you're so in love with me? No one. I mean, some of us have been in, in, in the walk for a long time. And it has been horrific. Hasn't it? If we really, really sum it up, it has been horrific. We have been adulterous. We have been a cheater. We have not, you know, honored our vows. Yet he stays and keeps sending fish to say, but I still love you. Anybody else would have walked away and said, boot you. Do your thing. You don't want me, I don't want you either. It says, my mouth is filled with God's praise. Let everything living bless him. Bless his holy name from now to eternity. When do we choose to just bless his name? And half the time we don't bless his name because we don't know him. When I know him, I bless him. When I know what he can do for me, I bless him. Know when your heart is not full of blessings towards God, it's because you don't know his name. Everything is tied in his name. 